there was a young man that walked into a store, and um, it was this time of year. Um, Valentine's Day is a couple of days away. Um, take note, men. Um, so he walked into a store to buy a gift for his uh, wife. And as he was shopping, of course, he was having uh, one of the attendants in the store, clerks, help him pick out a gift. And he noticed this young lady coming through the door, and it was a beautiful young lady. I mean, beautiful, stunning. And it caught his eye, and it caught his eye, and it, it, it caught his eye to the point where it was more than just seeing this beautiful young lady come through the door, uh, it became a, a stare and watching her move around the store. There were two young ladies that left their husbands at home and beautiful time to go to the beach and just spend some friend time together. And as they were walking down the beach, there was these two young guys walking towards them and um, you probably wouldn't use the adjective stunning maybe handsome cut buff was probably the words that were going on between the two of them uh, these men caught their eyes and conversation ensued as they walked down the beach we are in this point of this particular sermon on the mount where as I mentioned last week we're in relationships and there's six movements as I mentioned um, it starts with you heard say but I tell you and I told you that we were going to combine a couple of those where there would be uh, four sermons instead of six in this movement uh, within the Sermon on the Mount and so today is part two, and we'll cover two of those uh, particular passages where Jesus is teaching on relationships. But I also said that you need to remember and you need to point back to verse 20. Because verse 20 in chapter 5, if you haven't turned there, turn in your Bible to chapter 5. This is not on the screen, but let me read it for you. For I say to you, unless... Your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees. You will not enter the kingdom of heaven. And so Jesus is teaching about righteousness as he's moving into these relationships. And last week we talked about anger. Uh, we talked about how we deal with one another uh, as we find issues at times with our brothers and sisters, not only in Christ, but even outside of the church. And I will spare you, I won't preach that sermon again. Um, or not today, I may preach it again, but not today. Um, but today we pick up on uh, some verses that sometimes are left out. Not that they're not in scripture, but there's sometimes that pastors will just skip over these sections and not want to preach on them. Um, and if those of you that have known me over the years, uh, you know I'm not that pastor. I take what's next, and we hit it head on. And some of you are going to say, these verses have nothing to do with me. Um, I'm no longer married, or uh, I'm widowed. 
uh, I would tell you that these verses have something to do with you also if you fall into those particular categories. And yes, husbands and wives, um, if you're here or watching online, uh, take note of, of what these passages have to say and what the Lord has laid on my heart. Um, before we move forward, let me pray. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing in your sight, for you are our strength and our redeemer. And I pray, Father, that you would illuminate our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit for what you would hold for each of us today through this, your holy word. And I pray this in your name. Amen. So I'm going to take this passage this morning, and I'm going to break it up into four movements and uh, read um, these verses according to the movements. And so you'll see verse 27 on the screen. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. And so the, the first movement is going to be the deed. Jesus is talking about adultery. And, and we know what adultery means. Adultery means that you have... You're married and you have relations with somebody outside of your marriage. And, and so we know what that means. And, and we know it's a sin. And furthermore, it's not just adultery that's a sin. All we know sexual sins that are mentioned in Scripture, and you can go to 1 Corinthians 6 and, and, and read what Paul says there. But we know that the sexual sins of fornication, idolatry, of um, homosexuality, of bestiality, and adultery is a sin. Jesus, as he gave the commandments, the seventh commandment that Jesus quotes here, thou shalt not commit adultery. And so, knowing as believers, knowing as we walk with Jesus Christ that this is a sin, why do we do it? We were, we were created in God's image. We were created male and female. We were created to be in relationship with him and each other. And as Jesus says, oh, you could go back there, the second chapter of Genesis verse 24 for a man for this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and they shall become one if you were to go to Matthew 19 and you were to read that particular passage and you get to verse 5 in chapter 19 it says, for this reason, this is Jesus talking, for this reason a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. In verse 6 he says, so that they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore what God has joined together, let no man separate 
If you were to go to Ephesians 5 and read verse 31 that Paul writes to the church at Ephesus, you would hear, For this reason a man shall leave his father and his mother, you know where this is going, and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. You think that might be important to God that three times at the beginning as he creates man and woman in his image, an image that is to reflect him and who he is, his righteousness, his love. And then Jesus, his son, comes and he's teaching on marriage and he says a man and a woman shall join together and become one flesh. And then Paul later teaches to the church that a man and a woman shall join together and become one flesh. It, it seems like there's some repetition there that God is trying to get across. And, and we hear Jesus say, you've heard it say you should not commit adultery. And Jesus is serious. He is very serious about sexual sins. And so the deed that he mentions here is adultery. Did, did you know that if you go to Leviticus 20, and you can read that this afternoon, you don't have to read it right now, or you can go to Deuteronomy 22, and, and you'll get the same flavor and so again, uh, the Lord God gives us this passage uh, twice, uh, this understanding. And um, it's tough to read. If, if you go to 20 and just read verse 10, if, if there is a man who commits adultery with another man's wife, one who commits adultery with his friend's wife, the adulterer and the adulteress, shall be put to death. Wow. Uh, if you read chapter 20, it's going to get tough on you because if you read Leviticus 20, you're going to say, whoa, wait, whoa. Yeah, um, and that's hard to digest um, because almost the end of every verse says, and they shall be put to death, and they shall be put to death, and they shall be put to death. The problem is, is once you get to this first century and Jesus is teaching, it's almost as if the men get a pass. The men get a pass. And by the way, if you have been told that adultery is the unpardonable sin, it is not. In John's Gospel, chapter 8, you read that and, and you see that Jesus comes up and the Pharisees are trying to see what he says about adultery and how he views because they've got stones in their hand and they're ready to stone the woman that has committed adultery. And he bends down and begins to write and begins to talk to them. And, and then he says he stands up and he says those without sin cast the first stone and he leans back down and for a second time writes in the ground and when he stands back up it says he straightens up and turns around there's no one's there they've dropped the rocks and they've gone away and he looks at the woman and says where's your accusers and well they have gone 
what does Jesus say to the adulterous woman? Neither do I condemn you. He didn't stop there, and that's often where we want to stop. I, I don't condemn you. He says, go and sin no more. You, you see, adultery is not the unpardonable sin. God will forgive the adulterer, but it takes confession, repentance, and living not doing that again. That's what repentance means, is to turn around and not do that. Go the opposite direction from your sin. And so be, be careful when someone begins to do absolutes. We, we need to go to Scripture and understand that. It seems almost as the men kind of got a pass in the first century as we led up to Jesus' teaching and often it was the women who were either stoned or accused, even though the men often committed adultery. And so this is the deed that Jesus brings up in this passage, but he also lifts up the desire. Look at verse 28. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. You remember I said this is a matter of the heart. This is a heart thing. These are heart passages that God is giving us in these verses. And Jesus is lifting them up to have us look at our heart. And so lust, he says. If, if you look at a woman or a man in lust, you have already committed adultery, Jesus says. Now, that first look, it is nothing wrong to compliment a beautiful woman. It is nothing wrong to see a woman walk through or a man walk through in front of you and say, man, that's a handsome man. There's nothing sinful about that. It's when it's taken to the lustful level that it becomes a sin. When you start to think, hmm, that they look a lot better than my man or my woman, or you begin to think about this process in your mind, hmm, I wonder. That's when it becomes adultery in Jesus' context here that you have become lustful. Think about King David. Now, go to if you, you don't have to go to 2 Samuel, but you can go to 2 Samuel if you want to check me out. But Bathsheba, chapter 11. But if you jump back to chapter 7, guess what has happened? God has made covenant with David. David is his chosen king. David is a man after God's heart. And, and here David is in his beautiful abode, his castle. And he walks out in the evening on his roof. And lo and behold, there is a beautiful woman that is sunbathing. And he looks at her. And if he would have said, man, that's a beautiful woman. And he turned around and went back in and had his glass of wine. He'd have been fine. But he couldn't take his eyes off of Bathsheba. It became lust. Who is this woman? I've heard it said, oh, he didn't know she was married. Scripture tells us, as his inquiry, 
Who is this woman? Oh, she's married to Uriah. In fact, Uriah is one of your, your head men in your army. Oh. So, you know the story. He calls Bathsheba in. They lay together. Uh, she goes home. She sends word to David. Hey, bud. <laughs> um, I'm pregnant. And so... David not only commits adultery, but David ultimately has her husband killed to try to cover up his sin. And you know the rest of the story, as Paul Harvey would say. The baby that was born, the unnamed child, ends up dying. And David has to repent. He is so um, convicted of his adulterous affair of his sin of murder that he has to go before the Lord to cleanse his heart, to come back into that relationship with God as God had called him to serve him. And so we have to be careful about this lust going to the next level because Jesus says, if you look on another person, a woman or a man with lust, you have already committed adultery in your heart. I know that we live in perilous times when it comes to the, the sexual revolution that we live in. And some say, well, wait a minute, it's um, uh, you know, the, the 60s, yes, and you can go before that, and you can go all the way back to Sodom and Gomorrah, and uh, all of the sexual sin, there's been sexual sin uh, from, from the beginning, from the fall. The, the difference today is this. We have at our hand a computer and in instantaneously, I can type in just about anything and just about see anything from A to Z. Pornography is a multi-billion dollar industry around the world. I told you this story um, some time back. We were in Orlando uh, having a general assembly a number of years ago and the second day uh, David Swanson got up in the pulpit and he said um, just want to say we're going to have a time of prayer because yesterday there were 40 individuals within our general assembly that logged on to porn sites in our sanctuary from our IP address it's at our fingertips it is when Satan tells you you're not enough um, your wife's not enough your husband's not enough you need to look elsewhere you need to go elsewhere and it's there at every turn in our society and in many cases the lust of the world has become routine and okay in many circles. We know better. God is calling us to have our righteousness be that 
much more than the world, much more even than the scribes and the Pharisees, he says in verse 20. And so we, we have this deed that Jesus says, we have this desire that in our fallen nature pulls at us, but God gives us a deliverance. And so Jesus in verse 29 says, if your right eye makes you stumble, tear it out and throw it from you, for it is better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than your whole body to be thrown into hell. And then verse 30, if your right eye makes you stumble, cut it, or right hand makes you stumble, cut it off and throw it from you, for it is better that you use, lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Wow, Jesus, mutilation. Mm. Well, I really don't think he's telling us to gouge out our eyes and cut off our hands. But he is telling us to cut it out. Cut out whatever it is that is causing you to sin. And you can apply that across the board, not just in this case of adultery, though he mentions it here. But he says, cut it out. Get rid of it. No longer let this be a part of your life. I was talking to someone the other day, and we were talking about Facebook and how you can say a word, and Facebook, you, don't, you may not believe it, but I will tell you that um, these phones listen to us, and um, I, will, I will say a word or talk about buying something, and I'll open up Facebook, and the first ad that pops up is an ad for what I just talked about, and um, I'm telling you, you you don't it's true. It, it absolutely happens. And so um, I am so kind of disgusted with it. I told Terry the other day uh, that I do away with Facebook. I don't have Instagram. I don't have Snapchat. Uh, I know a lot of you do. Um, if that's causing you to sin, cut it out, delete it. Um, but when it comes to... Um, when it comes to Facebook, and, and many people have a Facebook account, um, I, I would do away with it if it wasn't for the church because I'm constantly posting an event or posting a sermon or posting a blog or uh, I'm uh, trying to take care of our Hope Facebook page. Uh, we have Facebook where we live stream, and so uh, to do away with that is almost impossible uh, but I'm about to the point where um, I don't go on Facebook, period, as far as my personal use. I just don't, just don't do it anymore. Uh, it takes up my time. Um, it takes up my energy. Uh, it takes up my thoughts of what is popping up. Um, and so um, Jesus is saying, hey, look, you can be delivered from this by just cutting this out. Cutting these things out of your life and making sure that you are focusing on me. And, and so Jesus has talked about this deed of, of um, committing adulteries. He, he's talked about why uh, we fall into that and it's lust of the heart. And, and then he tells us how we're delivered from it. You cut it away from you and, and don't let it be a part of who you are 
and how you live your life. Let your righteousness be right, live rightly. And, and then we come to this section, verse 31 and 32, and we hear it again when he says, It was said, Whoever sends his wife away, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife except for the reason of unchastity makes her commit adultery and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery so much here a lot here and i want to spend a little bit of time in these two verses so at the time there were uh there was rabbi uh Shemilia, and and he was conservative and and his point was you know, Jesus says, you heard Moses gave uh, a certificate of divorce. And the only reason to give a certificate of divorce to a person that was married was so that they could marry someone else. There was, there was no other reason for divorce but to be able to get married again. And, and so he says, look, Moses allowed you to get divorced. And... This conservative rabbi said, yes, but it was for unfaithfulness. This was the, the underlying premise here that if someone was unfaithful, you could offer them a certificate of divorce. But then there was Rabbi Hayil. He was liberal. And here's where the scribes and Pharisees bought in to this particular rabbi's take on the certificate of divorce. Um, so you burned my dinner. I'm not going to have that. You're out of here. You know, I don't like your hair. You got it cut. By the way, Zeke, your hair looks great. Um, you got it cut. I don't, I don't like your hair. You're out of here. You disrespected my family. You're out of here. You walked on the wrong side of the street. You're out of here. I don't like how you dress today. You're out of here. And... and Rabbi Hamil said, you know, almost for just anything, a man could put his wife away. And he would get a certificate of divorce so that he could marry someone else and go on with his business until she did something that he didn't like. And so you have this mindset, and Jesus says, you've heard it say You've heard it say, let him give her a certificate of divorce. Some versions actually says, you've heard it said that Moses said, let them give a certificate of divorce. And so, God hates divorce. Did you know that? Malachi 2 says, "Go. you can look at it, verse 16. I hate divorce, thus saith the Lord. And I believe that. Believe it with all my heart that God hates divorce. We were to leave our father and mother, and we were to join together, and we were to become as one. And, and we know that unfaithfulness is a reason that divorce is given for Scripture. We also know with our hearts, I believe, that there are a few other instances where 
abuse comes into play and and divorce is um, is the right thing to do that, that's that's the way I believe and understand it I heard a pastor I didn't hear him he actually told me to my face uh, we were talking about this passage about divorce because I'm divorced and remarried and people people have said I bet you never preach on divorce and I said well you've never heard me preach then um, so he said to me you're going to hell I said is divorce the unpardonable sin and he said yes according to scripture you're going to hell so let just let me ask you this I you know I'm not condoning divorce I don't believe in that he further said if a woman is being abused I tell her to stay and I said really how about to the point of physical abuse to death her and her children he said I would never advise a woman to leave her husband um, even to the point of her being killed and I said I don't read that in scripture I, I just don't I don't see that that um, that's there and let me tell you why so I believe you interpret scripture with scripture let me um, turn here just a second because I actually want to I want you to see this not that I please hear me um, I believe God wants us uh, to stay married I believe God wants us to mutually be with one another in the right way and we will talk about that in just a minute but Jesus is going through Samaria and he is at Jacob's well and the woman that's coming to the well to get water is coming at the middle of the day because she can't be with the other women that come in the cool of the evening to get their water because she is ashamed of who she is. And she comes to the well and Jesus says to her in chapter 4 of John's Gospel, the 10th chapter, if you knew the gift of God and who it is saying to you, give me a drink, you would ask him and he would give you living water. In other words, if you were to ask me to save you, I would save you. I would give you living water. He further says, everyone who drinks from this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks from the water that I give them shall never thirst again. But the water that I give will well up in them like a spring to eternal life. And then Jesus says to her, Go and call your husband to come here. The woman answers him and says, I have no husband. And Jesus says, You answer correctly. You have no husband, Jesus says. For you have had five husbands, and the one in whom you are living with now is not your husband. So what you have said is true. So she's been divorced at least four times because she had to have a certificate of divorce, divorce to have another husband. Maybe that fifth husband she didn't divorce, but the man she's living with, she's living in fornication and adultery if she didn't get divorced. So one of those two. And Jesus says to her, I'll give you living water. 
it's not the unpardonable sin. Is divorce spoken about in Scripture? Absolutely. And does God want us to stay together? Absolutely. He wants us to be a reflection of Him. And if we do that, it works out. And so the end result's going to be one of two things. Either we're going to divorce because of our actions, and it's going to take repentance for to be reconciled there in making that whole, or we can do it the way God has called us to do it. And I just want to lift up quickly two passages. 1 Corinthians 7. And so... Paul is writing to the church at Corinth, and you know we've studied Corinthians, and you know the church of Corinth and, and all the issues that they were facing. And he says, but because of the immoralities, each man is to have his own wife and each woman to have her own husband. In what's going on today when it comes to this non-binary and all of the gender issues and all of this and that uh, when it comes to marriage, God ordained marriage and God ordained marriage between a husband and a wife, between a man and a woman. And you can point to 1 Corinthians 7, 2 if you want to read that. And then verse 3 says, The husband must fulfill his duty to his wife and likewise also the wife to her husband. Okay, husbands and wives, you should be, if you're sitting together, probably ought to take each other's hands. Um, if you haven't already. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but her husband does. And likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Stop depriving one another, except by agreement for a time, so that you can devote yourself to prayer, and then come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. If we would live into what God has called us to as man and wife, if we were to live into his prescription, I don't know that the church at least would have 50% of divorce, which is about the same rate as secular society. But Satan tells us it's about me and I'm being deprived and I can get something else outside of my marriage that I can't get here. And then you go to Ephesians, the second passage, and you know this well, any of you, all of you that's grown up in the church. And we go to chapter 5, and we say, it says, Wives, be subject to your own husband as to the Lord. There's a lot in that verse, and I could spend the next 30 minutes about that. For husbands are the head of the, house, of the, head of the wife as Christ is head of the church, you need to read that sentence together, uh, not separate it. Uh, he himself being the savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, also the wife ought to be subject to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Are you willing to die for your wife? Christ died for the church. Christ is, is first on my hierarchy of agenda, but I will tell you, out of our nine children, any of them come third because she, my wife, comes second. She is my mate. She 
is who I love, and I, I would die for her. I would give my life for her. She would tell you, if you were to ask her, and I'm not going to get too detailed, but she will tell you that I tell her all the time, my whole goal as her husband is to please her and complete her. So it's not about me, it's about how I treat her. And as I treat her the way God has called me to as a husband, she begins to complete me and fulfill my needs and, and who I am as her husband. You, you see, it works both ways. And so often we get caught up in this, I deserve this, or I deserve that, or he or she is doing this or not doing this. And if you will lift your spouse up, It makes a difference. I'll ask you a question. Don't answer out loud, please. <laughs> Those of you that are, are married, have you told your spouse yet this morning that you love them? Just think about it. Jesus, or Paul, is writing here as we hear this relationship with husbands and wives and he says you you love husbands love your wife just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her there's a comma there and he says so that he might sanctify her having cleansed her by the washing of the water of the word and he might present himself to the church in all of her glory having no spot or wrinkle or such thing, but that she might be holy and blameless. So husbands ought to love their own wives, wives as their own body. He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hates his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church. Because... We are members of his body. And then there's that verse 31 that comes back around again. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined together with his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And God has given us this prescription. And so you're going to do one of two things. Even whether you are married or not, whether you are divorced, whether you are widowed, how you treat others is going to depend on how you view what God has called you to and given you to in Scripture. You love God and love others. And when it comes to this Scripture, we are certainly understanding that God is calling us to, to love our wives. But all of us are called to love and reflect God's glory. You go back to the beginning and you go back to the creation of man and woman, and it says that we are a reflection. We are created in the image of God. And so the question would be, are you reflecting 
God to your wife, to your children, to your grandchildren, to those you work with, your neighbors? Are you? It's a matter of the heart. Father, thank you for challenging us. Thank you for, Father, just challenging us to be what you have called us to be, to, to be the best that we can in our walk with you, to be righteous and rightly in our living. Uh, Father, to reflect your, your, yourself. Your very Holy Spirit lives in us, and, and we are to refl be a reflection of you to the world. Father, just as the woman at the well went to share, to witness, many Samaritans came and, and listened to Jesus, and it said that they believed in him, not only because of her witness, but because they heard the gospel through Jesus' words. Father, we, we come this morning acknowledging we fail you in many ways, in word and deed. But I pray, Father, the end result that we are seeking is to be holy, sanctified, glorifying in all that we do. And as we do that, we'll make a difference in this lost world. It may be a person at the time that we influence in some way, but Father, we just pray you would use us. Thank you for your word and what you have done through Jesus, our Savior in whose name we pray. Amen.